Hello and welcome to the Farm Reform Podcast. Uh, this is our health wrap-up episode uh, from the health conference in Las Vegas. We are not live at the show. Uh, this time we ended up uh, deciding to try and fit the wrap-up in uh, remotely after returning home. So I've just gotten off of an airplane earlier this morning. Uh, Matt uh, Holt, who is my guest today, got in last night. Uh, Matt is the editor of the Healthcare Blog. He's a, a longtime player in the space. Uh, he has some event experience of his own, ran the Health 2.0 event for some time, and uh, injured his back pretty badly at the show. So uh, <laughs> sorry that happened yeah. to you, Matt, and thank you so much for doing this anyway. I know it, 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 it was pretty remarkable, General. You know, I was wandering around Monday night. There, there was the, uh, I was part of the UCSF Health Awards, which I think you you were at, I, you know, was charging around parties, enjoying myself in the regular thing. Looking forward to Tuesday, I'm going to see the, you know, superannuated rapper that they had on. Actually, I, uh, that, that may be unfair. Chris may still be a big famous rapper. I don't know. <laughs> I don't follow the, the rap scene enough. And uh, yeah, I, I, I actually uh, did a main stage presentation on Tuesday, uh, moderated uh, with Cheryl Pegas and, uh, from Walmart, Sachin Jane from uh, SCAN. And as I was walking around, my back, which had been a little bit tickling me, just started collapsing. I ended up having quite an experience at the Hinge Health booth, <laughs> trying to get them to use their MSK tools to, to fix me. And, but I ended up getting carted off the, carted off the floor in a wheelchair. So uh, <laughs> not, I'm still in a bit of trouble to now, now. So not the greatest experience. I mean, it's pretty cool that you went right to the digital health that was at the show to see if you could make it work for you. <laughs> well, actually, and I've got a little video I need to put together because I took some video of me doing it. Um, uh, I went, first off, I was I was misled by one of my, uh, I think it was Kevin, uh, on, Kevin Wong on Health Tech Nerds. Things said that there were going to be PTs, like physical therapists at the uh, Sword Health booth. So I saw that booth and I, and I went there and, and they, 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 did, they had very nice chocolate instead. <laughs> but so I then wandered around. I was hobbling around. And I got as far as, and I noticed there was the Hinge Health booth. And they were advertising a tool called Enzo, which I didn't know, but it's a little. Uh, it's like one of those things that physical therapists put on your on your thigh, your back that has like a low stimulation buzz. It's ever a high stimulation buzz. It's a company they bought, and uh, they have they have uh, they actually put one on me, um, and uh, they had a very, very kind physical therapist who put one on me and let me, you know, use it for most of the day. And you can turn the effect up. And it certainly helped with the pain initially. But I think whatever I've done to myself is so bad, I need I need more care than that. So it wasn't a great experience. It wasn't, you know, uh, the, the hinge health experience was nice and what they've, what they've built in terms of exercise, exercises um, and, and some of the new products they have coming out were actually pretty cool. Um, and you can see the, the you know, the, the advantage of remote physical therapy is, is pretty interesting compared to in-person physical therapy, but uh, yeah, it didn't actually, unfortunately, it wasn't, it wasn't a cure. I, I, I don't know. I guess these things don't get cured overnight. <laughs> I was uh, uh, wheelchaired on and off the plane. So uh, I'm like one of those, you know, you always wonder who are those, who are those people who are, who are perfectly fine and healthy, but they're sitting in a wheelchair. Now I was one. <laughs> anyway. So I want to talk a little bit about broadly, the, some of the trends, some of what we heard at the show, these things for me, a lot of the value is, just getting all these people together and finding out what's on people's minds and how people are thinking about different trends. So I know you didn't see a ton of sessions. Um, I, I, a lot of people come to these do mainly meetings. Uh, I was pretty focused in my sessions on pharma stuff, but I want to just kind of get take the temperature. 
But the first thing I want to talk about, just to get it out of the way, the elephant in the room is, I think a lot of the conversation I hear at health is actually about health um, and of the event itself and how it is fitting in the ecosystem, should fit into the ecosystem, whether the the presentations are sort of valuable and authentic. Um, so I don't want to get too deep into that, but I, I want to address it up front, especially, you know, you're an events guy. I know you have opinions. Um, what did you think? I mean, the criticism I hear is that you get these incredible guests, you get these really top notch movers and shakers in healthcare and you get them on stage and then they just get to give a sales pitch. They don't really get, you know, they don't really get pressed, um, on, on the important stuff. Well, I mean, uh, so I was, I believe asked to moderate my session by Sachin Jane, who actually been invited on by Cheryl Pegas, um, from Walmart. Because you thought I would give him a hard time, and I did, right? I, I uh, so, you know, I, 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 and I got a couple of tweets saying, "Wow, you know, we don't see this a lot uh, at health." And I think there is a little bit going on in the main stage sessions where they, you know, they do it a different way than certainly uh, I, I, you know, into it. I used to do it at Health Two Point Oh, and to some extent, how some other conferences do it. But I've been, but but it's it's where they essentially say. This is a session where United Health, United Healthcare, or Optum, or whomever is going to tell you about what they're doing, right? And they don't tend to. I mean, you know, uh, um, that. And I, you know, it's one of those questions where you don't know. And it's always a very thin line for every single conference as to, you know, who, when you have somebody on that stage who's also a sponsor and, uh, you know, as uh, kind of, you know, also a big name in the industry, how much you go around, go around, uh, you know setting them make it difficult to come back it's not then these folks are not politicians they don't have to come to your conference or the rest of it and i think you know if i was to put words in jonathan weiner's mouth i'd rather have these people there tell me what they're doing than get sort of confrontation on the stage there has definitely been confrontation on the health stage um there's been uh people going at each other a little bit over the years usually in the breakout panels more than the main stage stuff from what i've seen but you know um I, I I think I would tend to agree that it's it's not doesn't have a characteristic as being sort of an aggressive show or even for that matter, to be honest with you, much of a themed show, um, in terms of in terms of how it's done. And, and certainly, you know, if I was to contrast it with Health Two Point let's be clear, HLTH much bigger and much more successful than Health Two Point was. But into it I always tried to have like our themes of what's going on and try to fit the uh fit the main stage sessions and make the main stage much more important in the context of the show. And I think you're right. I think they have great people and great presentations at HLTH, but the number of people in the audience of the people who are there, you probably had 10,000 people at the show. And, you know, the, some of the audiences were, were, were especially on Sunday, there was some, there was some big crowds in some of the, uh, you know, some of the early main stage sessions and some of the, uh, the breakout rooms were standing remotely, um, you know, but in general, by the, by the time Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday rolls around, I think most people are doing meetings. They're running a whole series of startup investor meetings with startups. They're running a whole series of, uh, um, you know, what they call hosted buyers. So, you know, providers and plans meeting with startups. And I think that's where a lot of the focus is. And then you have all the exhibit halls open the whole time. So if you recall hymns, you know, traditionally has the exhibit hall closed during keynotes, but uh, you know, they, that's, that's not how they do it. And I think it's fair enough. I mean, that, that's, that's the way they're on their show and whatever we might say about it, you from the, Moby Health and Hints from Sector, maybe the health perspective, 
they've certainly got the crowd there, right? I mean, I would yeah. never have thought there were 10,000 people who would be prepared to pay, you know, the pretty stiff ticket price they have for a digital health show, but they've made it absolutely a must, a must be at event if you're in the business. So not only is the exhibit floor open all the time, but the geography of the show is constructed such that you cannot get to the sessions without walking through the exhibit floor constantly. Um, basically, there's session rooms all around the exhibit floor, and it's it's yeah. in the middle, which I think is really brilliant in terms of you know really making sure that the booths they're selling are are accruing the value. Um, but but to your other point, I, I think I do agree with you on both counts. You know, you can't. I understand where people are coming from when they say they want more controversy. They want to press people more. I mean, people are angry. They feel like healthcare's problems aren't just, they don't just come out of the sky. People are responsible for them. And some of those people are at this event because you've got virtually all the stakeholders there. So let's hold the responsible stakeholders responsible. But of course, everyone, I think, disagrees on who is responsible for what. <laughs> um, but I think you're right. You know, you can't, if you just invite people and then, you know, attack them, you probably are not going to have a conference for very long. Um, I did see several of the moderators who are mostly professional journalists, um, you know, pr pressing, yourself included. Um, I thought there was a session with a CMS administrator where she asked some really good questions, which mostly got dodged. But I guess that's the thing. Like, the reporters asked good questions, but... Even then, people aren't under any um, obligation to answer them. And, you know, it's not a very good presentation if a reporter just keeps asking the same question and the uh, interviewee keeps dodging it. So I think you're right. The value is in kind of the explanations and the and I think the collaborations, right? When you get multiple people together on a panel saying, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. Uh, then you do start to get a little tension. And I will say the two places I did see controversy, one was telehealth panel with uh, Roy Schoenberg and um, Zach Doc, uh, CEO, whose name is escaping me right now. Is that Cyrus Massimi, I think? Uh, yeah, yeah. Or was he the guy who left in his students? Oliver, I can't remember which one. It's Oliver and Co Oliver, yeah, that's who it was. Um, right. and, and, the, and there was a little bit of tension there around, you know, what's going on with telehealth and, and what's the end game for telehealth. That was interesting. I mean, I, mean I, I did think there were some missed opportunities. I went to a panel which had great people on it including the CEO of Oscar and some others. And, uh, you know, the elephant in the room around Oscar is, is the company going to be in business? What the hell is going on with these? Uh, 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 and I think Julie Yu from Andreessen was uh, on the panel as well. And, you know, what's going on with these with these uh, companies? And the topic of the panel was, you know, when to know how to pivot, which was interesting, but they kind of stuck to the topic of the panel. I was going, that's not what the, the conversation, if you look at the, the conversation online elsewhere about Oscar and now, especially in the stock markets, you know, how do they survive? What happened when they went into MA and then left MA? They did this business with uh, building building a technology platform, trying to sell to other clients. It didn't work. You know that that to me around Oscar and the, the change in Medicare advantage and the change in exchanges is, would have been a more interesting conversation. But it wasn't what they were having. Which you know that that may be the way it was set up. I don't know whether whether you know and what you don't know and and from running conferences, this is it's number one very tricky to get. CEOs of um, companies, even even you know well-funded startups, on panel panels with each other, if they uh, um, you know if they feel they don't want to. The classic case was I tried to get Glenn Tillman and Jonathan Bush on a panel together forever, and I finally did it once, and then never again. Right? Um, uh, and then the other issue is uh, you don't know what what the vibe of the 
people have been putting the panel together is doing what they wanted to talk about when they do when do, they do pre-discussions versus sort of what's the the zeitgeist out there. And sometimes people will take the off in the room. People, and some people want to talk about the new stuff they're doing, and they they have different audiences, right? They're trying to impress investors, potential partners, or potential acquirers, or whatever else. So you know, I, I think uh, you, you don't you don't get that. But 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 I do think. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he was on the stage, but I know he was on the stat conference, but David moved from Streamall, you know, answered some tough questions about what they've been up to. I talked to him off stage and, you know, uh, it was interesting. So, you know, it's not, it's not, it isn't the locus of where you get the really tough stuff done anymore. I don't think HLTH, but there's a lot of very interesting conversations going on. And probably I had more interesting conversations in the bar and the corridors than I saw on stage. Yeah, which is not nothing. I mean, uh, you know. And it makes sense. People do have to, I mean, message control is huge in this industry. I mean, particularly that's something I've learned since I've been in the pharma space even more so, but. Oh, even more so, right? <laughs> so let, let's get to the real stuff, Matt. Um, let's talk about value-based care. I think that was a big thing. They had several speakers from CMS. There's your panel with uh, with Scan Health uh, and, and, um, and Walmart. And, and they, there was a lot of conversation about like Medicare, Shared saving, Medicare Advantage. There have been some changes lately, partly as a result of the pandemic. Give me a little bit of a rundown. I don't track that space as closely as I used to. Give me a little bit of a rundown of kind of what what's at issue there right now and what, what are kind of some of the some of the perspectives you heard. Yeah, I mean, there's been a significant um, set of sort of policy arguments, which, by the way, have been around for a while, but have been really tuned this year. And it definitely came up in the panel I had. Um, with Sachin Jane, who runs a very successful uh, but small Medicare plan called Scan Health, um, I didn't unfortunately see the CNS uh, panel, but 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 the big picture piece is, is sort of that Medicare Advantage has now grown to being about roughly half of the Medicare system, so it's real money. Um, and there's a massive argument that's been playing out in health affairs and elsewhere, and actually on healthcare blog and elsewhere, between kind of Medicare Advantage supporters and detractors about whether Medicare Advantage is is delivering you know any value uh, compared to Medicare for service, you know in terms of outcomes and improved experience for the members, um, and more importantly, is it saving any money to the government? Um, and there's a massive argument about this. And frankly, uh, even if you look at the policy players, MedPAC, which is a sort of independent committee, says it's not. And actually, the CMS trustees, which is a separate report, says it is. <laughs> but you know, it's it's so that's going on in the background, and there's clearly going to be more looking at and regulation of, of Medicare. Yeah, at, at the at the CMS panel, you know, the, the deputy administrator um, did did say that, like, she was asked about that at the at the end, and she said basically, like, we're going to be having meetings and listening sessions and public comment, trying to get the to the bottom of this. Basically, it was kind of a non-answer, but it was at least like kind of an acknowledgement that, you know. CMS is not kind of taking for granted that Medicare Advantage is working. I, I agree. And you would expect eventually Congress to be more pressing on this, but you know, that um with the change in the House, I doubt you're gonna see so much on this, although, you know, not everybody in the uh, you know, the Republicans are not unanimously just because it's private, unanimously in favor of it, given that there's a lot of complaints about Medicare Advantage from the provider side and there's a lot of, you know, Republican connections on the provider side. Having said that, um, there's also, you know, the, the issue which is definitely on is, is that how quickly, you know, how quickly is value-based care going to whom from Medicare Advantage and elsewhere? And what I mean by that is if you look at the room, 
everyone's still going on about um, that we're creating a virtual first care product. A lot of that's going to be for Medicare, or we're a large provider organization <clears throat> or a large virtual provider organization, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the mold of digital health. And they're expecting value-based care payment to come down the track. But as we know, for you know, decades now, value-based care has been a very small part of, of, what's, uh, of what's, what's going on um, in terms of the overall share of payment compared to fee-for-service. And I did kind of enjoy the CEO of HCA, um, you know, which is a big old-world for-profit hospital, hospital chain. Saying, yeah, yeah, we're all for value-based care, but let's not be rigorous about the kind of value-based, you know, let's not be rigorous about does that mean universal capitation for no, yeah. There are things that you can do that are quote unquote value-based care that we can that we can live with and we'll stay still make our money. But clearly he wasn't interested in changing the, 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 the current flow of the system at all. And those kinds of players are still very, very powerful. And uh, I would, you know, so I, I think this runs and runs. I my my sense is that if you look at some of the, a lot of the offerings, and I and I I didn't see it, but I read up the the new offering from the folks at Amazon. You know, they're kind of not prepared to wait for value based care. They're saying, can we build a a tool that will take cash payment on the one hand, or with their acquisition of one medical, can we can we get in the value stream of of what's high end fever service essentially? I, and I hear I'm here still hearing a lot of people saying, you know, we're going to stay where the market is, and the market isn't that value based care yet. So, but a lot of people are still building. You know, tools that they say are going to work in value based care for the for future, which isn't quite here yet. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't foresee a lot of change. And uh, that's going to tell you about my most interesting, um, I, I, I guess, off the record, but you know, who knows if it was off the record? It was Midnight at the Bar and <laughs> conversation, which was with, uh, with the, 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 uh, with the senior executive at Commure, which is the company which has been, um, uh, given, I think, $500 million by General Catalyst to build a new, quote unquote operating system for healthcare. And, you know, the the discussion was basically, are we are we gonna, you know, is this gonna change healthcare? And every time uh I said, well, you know, I pressed her on this issue of what's it gonna what's gonna happen, what are you gonna do? It came down to with their new tools, they were gonna help big established healthcare systems be a little bit more efficient. And, you know, I, I my basic point, and I think I, it says when I'm right, is that yeah, you may do very well. You may make money for your investors. You may become a big player, you know, a la the next epic or whatever by doing that. But you're not really going to change the nature of healthcare if we just if you're just making the big established hospital systems who are all sitting on massive reserves and doing pretty much what they've been doing for the same for the last twenty years. If you just made them a bit more efficient, that's that's not going to change the, the you know the basic underlying problems of of cost, quality, access to primary care, et cetera, et cetera. Because those organizations don't do that, and uh, you know, after, after I think after about uh, forty-five minutes, we agreed to disagree and have another gin. But you know, it was <laughs> it, it was it. Uh, yeah, I I think there's a lot of that going on. I see a lot of people making partnerships with big systems, with big established incumbents. I see the incumbents dipping their toes in a lot of waters with these with these uh, with these new players. I don't see many people going on the scene saying, "Okay, you know, American healthcare is big." Big, fat, and inefficient. We're going to take it over um, the way that you know Amazon did to retail or something like that. So this has uh, been kind of the meta conversation at these things for years and years and years, right? Is it the incumbents sure. and the startups, and you know, how do we how do we affect change? Well, I mean, I, j- j- but Jenna, what, what I'd say is that you think about it. You know, go back to the Oscar thing, right? They, those those new plans 
Oscars and diplomas and bright health and all those guys. And somebody said devoted. You won't hear so much about them. We're going to come on board, and they were going to they were going to like to you know do Medicare Advantage in a whole new way. And the answer is that they're you know in terms of they're a rounding area, even if they had yeah. Know, they're a rounding error in terms of the number of people in medical advantage compared to, you know, compared to the big guys, compared to Humana and United. And the same thing is true on the brighter side compared to the big brighter groups. But the hope would be that you know? if these innovators really do improve efficiency, that then the big companies will copy them, right? Or buy them. <laughs> and then you might maybe. see efficiency at scale. Maybe. Or maybe the, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion of, you know, you have to be the old guard has to be put out of business by the new guard as things are going to change. Uh, my my sense is that we should have seen, you know, we've had, I mean, I know it's not anything on the scale of a $4 trillion health system, but we should have, you know, we've had, what is it now, 60, 70 billion in venture capital go in over the last couple of years. And it hasn't moved the needle on any of this stuff in terms of, in terms of changing the system. Some companies are doing things more effectively, more efficiently. And there are certainly new, you know, benefits and probably better care for, for something in the employer market and potentially medical advantage. I mean, if we started talking about, you know, Hinge Health, um, who now are up to a thousand, you know, in, in the musculoskeletal space, are up to a thousand, a thousand uh, customers, employer customers. And I suspect there are a lot of employees out there who have bad backs who are getting better care than they were before because of it. But I don't think you can argue that, that you know, the mega trend is is changing dramatically the way, you know, we talked about all these years, you and I have been talking about disruption in other industries and then just come to healthcare. And it has happened in other industries, and you know, it's still very much on the margins in healthcare. So this is moving on a little bit, but I think an interesting segue given this conversation about where is change gonna come from and what are the disruptors doing? Amazon Clinic an announcement at during the show, if not Technically, at the show, I don't know, but um, you know, I think it was. I think, I think Aaron Martin was on a on a panel. Uh, was on the main stage talking about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Martin was and and uh, Nora Nora Yoga. I think. Um, my take is here's what we've been waiting for from Amazon, and it's at it's simultaneously underwhelming and kind of brilliant, right? Because they're doing, I think, very little, but they are doing what they do best. Um, with this Amazon clinic offering, which is really just sort of like a aggregator marketplace for third party telehealth providers that accrues most of its value from being associated with Amazon.com. I mean, do you see it differently? What's your what's your take? I was I mean, I mean, uh, overall, Amazon has been the most disappointing thing that's happened in healthcare in the last year to me, um, because, uh, like I said, you're right. It's this. It is this thing. I actually went and played with it this morning a little bit because I haven't seen it. And you can go online and you know you can select which condition you think you have, and then you get directed to one or two or three sort of second tier um, telehealth providers. And I assume that the the, the the meds come come to you from you know I think Amazon Pharmacy. So well, you can get them other ways, but I, the the suspicion is that Amazon Pharmacy is going to be the easiest way, and then yeah, and and, and basically it's the same thing as our typical marketplace, right? And they sell. If you think about their overall marketplace, they sell a lot of third, you know they tell us sell a lot of third party good, goods. Where sometimes they do the fulfillment, or sometimes they don't do the fulfillment, and where they get a cut. And they also sell advertising. They promote people on the on, you know. So they they use their cloud as a consumer marketplace rather than as a retail store. Yeah, they're a logistics organization. They're an extremely yeah. good and 
and prescient of changing tech and market forces logistics organization. It took the whole world years and years and years to realize that's what they were. But I yeah. think now we kind of get it. Well, well, but but they do provide services in other areas, right? AWS being the, being the biggest one. They do provide services they've developed internally. But even AWS is is it's an infrastructure play, right? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, let's let's. I mean, let's unpeel a little bit, right? So what they've done is they essentially said we think there's enough business. And I, I don't know if they right I don't know how huge this is because it's very much what uh, you know Roe and Hims have been building, and those are, I would say, nice little businesses. I mean, they're well, they, they need to figure out how to make make more money, but you know. And they've probably got overfunded, but they are, you know, direct to consumer, very limited businesses, very limited, limited, limited problems. And, you know, you, anytime you say that the kind of issue we're dealing with is hair loss or male sexual health, you know, you know, kind of where they go. Right. So I think that you could argue it's a limited, limited thing. The Amazon cares had it expanded was what I was looking for was like, could you build a virtual a virtual or hybrid national uh, um, national uh, primary care plus plus uh, brand that would actively go to employers and say, we are able to come here and be cheaper, better, faster than what you're currently getting from the main providers you're doing. And we can, you know, and because we're so big, the plans can't ignore us. And therefore, we can build, you know, a lot of people talk about this virtual Kaiser of the 21st century. I've heard that three or four times. Before I heard it from a couple of people at Health, um, and I was expecting that Amazon, you know, but nobody has got real heft to build that. Most people who could have done that, like Teladoc, have gone back to try to sell more to the current incumbents. There are some people trying to build that. Firefly is to some extent, you know, you crossover is, um, but they're not doing it with you know the Amazon heft behind them. And I thought Amazon Cares was going to do that. They announced the, they announced, you know, they announced that they were going to do that. They announced they were going to build build a clinics and, and do it online and have visits to the home. You know, I, I thought, oh, this is pretty interesting. They can use animal dis distribution, but also build a new infrastructure of primary care. And, you know, what I don't know what the internal discussions were within Amazon, but after doing that for not very long, you know, but like less than less than, you know, offering it to other other clients for less than I think it was less than eighteen months, they killed it and instead bought, you know, one medical, which is a I'm a member, it's a great service, I like the people there, but it's an extremely niche type of primary care that is not anything close to value-based care. It's the, it's the most expensive thing in service, primary care. Place so they bought, the, you know, they were building the equivalent of, I don't know, you know, a, a cheaper, uh, 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 a cheaper Safeway, and they instead gave up and bought, you know, the toniest Whole Foods market they could find. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm confused about where they're heading. Now they're Segmenting the market for money, they're not really going to try and change healthcare fundamentally. Is my is my you know, my opinion. I think that's probably true. Although you know, the other thing about Amazon is that you can't underestimate them because they do start with an MVP and then grow it in ways that you might not have expected. I mean, that's the other kind of thing. So maybe this is maybe this is. I mean, I think the optimistic idea is that this is kind of the this is the groundwork, but they're going to add on to it more actual value. One thing that is in favor of that is that this this offering doesn't really leverage one medical group. So yeah. someone suggested on Twitter, and I, I wish I could give credit, I do not remember who it was, that, you know, maybe 
one medical group is going to be sort of at some point like, oh, hey, this is issue is too complicated to handle through telemedicine. Why don't you, you know, engage with this brick and mortar provider that, you know, we own and work with? I mean, I mean, that, that, that I understand they could do that. Um, but, you know, they're, but right now they're handing them off to other people. Right. So most of those other groups, uh, you know, I was looking at who it was in uh, in California. Health Tap is the one that took the list. And you know, I don't know what Health Tap's relationship is with brick and mortars, but they probably have their own relationship to hand it hand off to. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. And, and even One Medical, which has, you know, has its own app and its own virtual presence and then has its bricks and mortars, hands, you know, is in the network of some of the most expensive agri-medical centers in the country, you know. Yeah, so none of this is moving the needle on healthcare, especially for you know, the masses. I mean, generous, the same old story. If we came down, if you came down as an alien from, from outer space, you looked at American healthcare and you looked at everybody else, you go, everybody else has 75% generalists and a few specialists. And, you know, everyone gets covered by the generalists and most stuff gets taken care of. And they all spend, you know, nine to 10%, 12% of their GDP. And here we have, you know, 25%, if 20% generalists, 80% specialists, a lot of people don't get covered. There's incredibly uneven care. We spend 18 to 20% of our GDP. <laughs> None of what we've seen uh, from these players, which I was hoping would start to fix that equation, is, is going to do it. And we're not going to see any policy that's doing it, partly because, go back to the Medicare thing, there's now this big argument between, um, is it ACOs? You know, is it we do AC, do we do shared savings? Do we do Medicare Advantage? You know, and there's how we try to transform the big female service Medicare program is still, there is no unanimity on that, right? And, and, and there is obviously dis- disputing, there's disputes between former, uh, former Democrats running the show, former Democrats who were on the show, the current Democrats who are running the show, the Republicans who were on the show and probably will be again in four or eight years, you know, the, as to how, the, how this gets done. Um, and you can tell that the, the most of the activity, and I, and I, I listened in on the uh, CEO of Optum, and, and Bertha Coombs, I felt, could have been a bit, you know, she's a, t- a tough journalist, could have been a bit more aggressive with him. She kept on saying that Optum was big and buying stuff, but it was getting close to being a monopoly in some places. But she, again, she, you know, she let him get away with saying, well, we're going to be transforming care, but it didn't really explain how or why, you know, what their, their principles were of, of, of solving that bigger problem we've talked about. Um, but we do know that Optum, you know, it, it came out, is very very good at making a lot of money, right? It makes about half the money for United Health Group, which is five billion in profit a quarter. <laughs> and he did say, you know, we're going to continue. You know, we'll give. It's been said publicly many times. They 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 so half of that goes in back to the dividends to shareholders, and half of that goes to buy stuff. You know, so, so they're going to keep acquiring stuff, and they are. We we worry about all those money losing, uh, money losing. You know, venture back companies on the short on on the show floor. They're not one of them. They make plenty of money, whatever they do. Uh, you know, and that will be, they will be the destination for a lot of the companies, you know, on the show floor and, and already have been. So, uh, you know, to, to, to me, that, that is a, again, if you look for move the little change that we talk about in the big picture, it, it's sadly not coming out of this industry. And I, and I, and I got to say, I'm, I'm a little bit depressive because when I was getting into it back in, you know, I used to be a cynic in the 90s and the 2000s. But when I got after the Clinton thing all fell apart, but when I got back into it in 2008, and then there was the High Tech Act and the Affordable Care Act, you know, and this money started coming into this industry, and you could see the consumer activity going on, I started thinking, you know, maybe this will actually change. But ten years later, 
10, 12 years later, it is. It clearly hasn't. So. So we're like probably past the time when I should end this podcast. We haven't really talked about pharma at all. And that is ostensibly what this podcast is about. So. <laughs> now, now you, now you work for a brother. You have to care about drug companies. Did, did, let me ask you. I mean, I, I, I didn't, you know, there were obviously were people from drug companies floating around. I know that because, uh, Chris DeLuca, my friend from Sanofi Ventures was one of the people who grabbed me in the, well, I was like hobbling. And he actually carried, almost half carried me to uh, to a beanbag to light me down when my back went out. So, uh, but uh, what, what was your sense about what the farmer folks were were up to? Um, and, yeah. You know how much they were giving away. Yeah, thanks for throwing this one back to me, Matt. Um, well, you're you're now a farm reporter, Johnny. You have to figure it out. There were actually a lot of life sciences people there, but by and large, they weren't anchoring panels. They weren't um, like on the big, you know, main fireside chats. Um, they were so, but you know, they were representatives on different panels. I saw from Bristol Myers Squibbs, from AbbVie, uh, from AstraZeneca. Um, there, I'm sure there were more. Uh, but you know, this is a, a pretty good. And then uh, Roche and, and Bayer both made announcements. Teva made an announcement, so that you know they were there. Um, interesting. At Frontiers, the last time you and I were at an event together, I felt like the digital therapeutics were kind of the really big thing. Every go, Coming out of that show, you would have thought that's the main hot topic in life sciences right now. Um, at, at Health, there was some talk about digital therapeutics, but really it felt much more like a sideshow, whereas um, clinical trials were everywhere. That was yeah, the, the big agree. thing. And and I mean, I think it kind of makes sense that this kind of multi-stakeholder show because clinical trials tie in so well with all the other conversations we're having about data, um, you know, like how we're using data and how we're generating data. And, um, and I think that is an area where, you know, real sea change in the healthcare system could come from is like if we really do crack this code that we've been trying to crack for a decade or more, don't get me wrong of you know of collecting data using it smartly running it through ai and machine learning systems that are getting better and better making it available to everyone uh, in, in terms of of clinicians in a way that doesn't violate people's privacy and you know like halamka was talking about in his talk on stage like to me that's one of the most promising areas of like trends literally transforming healthcare not just iterating on it and clinical trials i think are really tied into that because clinical trials are all about data collection, but their methods of data collection have been, you know, the same for 50 years. And, right. and now they are changing in like six different ways all at once. I'm super fascinated by this. I'm probably going to write a column about it, but there's, you know, this realization and really strong focus on trying to make them representative of populations and diversify them, which is like long overdue. There's the decentralization that is also long overdue that they've been trying to do since 2012, but COVID made them actually start doing it. And then there's all this stuff about, you know, AI models, real world data, like just completely reinventing what a clinical trial is and what it looks like. Um, and all these all these changes are, are interconnected and they're all happening at once. Um, and at the same time, it, you know, the the innovation folks sense this and so they're also being bombarded by new players i mean cvs launched their clinical trial business i think uh almost two years ago and then a year later walmart and walgreens both got into clinical trials so that you know you can see right there like 
not only are the big players, the traditional clinical trial players kind of completely reinventing what they do, but everybody now wants a piece of, of clinical trials. And, and so that's to me at health, that was the big story that I was interested in. I, I almost can't even articulate it because it has so many moving pieces, but if I had to try, I would say, you know, COVID opened a door to decentralization and new trial designs. Um, it, it created a little wiggle room with the sort of boogeyman of regulatory, which I think pharma used as an excuse to not experiment more with clinical trial designs for a long time. And then the country's sort of reckoning on race timed at the same time as the pandemic, largely. Um, and the realization that these decentralized tools would also allow us to recruit and incorporate populations we couldn't get in touch with before uh, has sort of caused this to be like a double effect where we're, we're trying to make more efficient trials. And also we're thinking hard about who's in trials, but none of this is easy. None of it is coming easily. And as always at these innovation events, you see, you know, you see the leading edge and you can, you can fall victim to the illusion that this is happening more widespread than it is. Um, but to me, I, everyone is thinking about it. Everyone is pouring resources into it. I do think like it is, it's the beginning of a, of a big change. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. No, uh, so I, I'd say you're dead right. You, you put that really well. I've been thinking about this quite a bit because I'm getting quite close with one of my former colleagues at Health 2.0, Drew Bosai, who runs a company called Pluto Health. And they are a little, the little engine inside uh, uh, doing the sort of uh, analytics and patient identification, a bunch of other stuff, um, and, and, and data, data gathering, a bunch of other stuff that they're doing for both Walmart and Walgreens in this exact space. And it's pretty interesting because there's two, as you mentioned, you mentioned one thing going on, which is, yes, we're getting different people in the clinical trials because, and this came up with uh, Cheryl Pegas from, from, from Walmart, right, which is, when she was on my panel, she said, we're making community health workers. We're going to rural areas. We're, we're doing stuff in places where we are at, right? And uh, similar, I've had conversations from, from Walgreens about their, their, their presence in places like the south side of Chicago, where there are no you know, people recruiting for clinical trials, but there's Walgreens, right? So I think the, the, the getting to a diversified population, the realization that, that clinical trials have been you know, uh, too middle class, too white you know, for, for far too long is one thing. The second thing which you did, the only thing you didn't bring up, which is a big part of it, is that the access to data now, this is the 21st Century Cures Act, you know, the reason, the reason Walmart, Walgreens, or others can start getting into the business is because they can now get data, you know, every, everyone can get data from everywhere. It's not just them, right? Epic's going to get into this as well and everybody else because you can access, you can access everyone's EMR data and that starts to enable you to figure out who the hell should be in the trial. Um, and to some extent, especially in some of the cancers, the trial is not just the trial. The trial is actually clinical care. <laughs> um, and, and I think that you're right. This is an area where there's, where there's a ton of, of change. And, of course, unlike that argument about value-based care and fee service and is it a good idea or not, who's going to make money, if you as a pharma company can get your, your drug through the clinical trial quicker, better, for a more targeted population faster, and get it on the market sooner, get it approved quicker, that's an immediate ROI to do this thing better. So that it makes sense, you know, yes, they're hidebound old institutions who've been doing the same thing, you know, forever. I, I know Bayer. The money's there, the money's there, right? But the money's there, right? Bayer always goes around, it's 175 years old or whatever it is compared to these upstarts, and they've done things the same way forever. But yeah, you know, you put a billion, couple of billion dollar drug on the market a few months earlier, 
it really makes a difference you know, to, to the bottom line. So I think it's a fascinating place. I think you're dead right. Your, your explanation of it was really, of the multiple different things going on there, was really fascinating. Love that. I would add that there's so much more I want to say about what startups are doing in this space, but I actually went to uh, Naomi Fried's Farmstars uh, demo day, and it's it's all there's a blackout period. I'm not allowed to talk about it until um, <laughs> until so December eighth. What you were told in conference, what you were told in the pub, exactly. But I will just say, stay tuned because the startups are an even more interesting part of this story. I think in some ways. Absolutely. It, well, I mean, as always, you know, you can look to the startups as as possible visions of where the industry is headed. All right. Well, I've kept you for a long time. You need to rest up and feel better. Uh, actually, I appreciate it because this conversation is making me forgetting that my back hurts. Although I'm about to move and then it'll start hurting again. But <laughs> Final thoughts in general about the show. Uh, you know, what you know, I, what did you I, love? What did I you hate? Was, it's kind of funny. I was... Uh, very cynical as to whether, go back to health itself, was whether it was going to make it because I just didn't know there was enough, you know, uh, interest and, you know, oh, you'd done maybe health news. I did. You know, we knew what the audience was back in the mid-teens and the fact that they've managed to grow the audience so significantly that it's now a serious rival to our old friends at Hymns, you know, um, uh, it, it is remarkable. But it also says that, you know, there's a ton of interest. Now, the big question is going to be, Almost everybody I spoke to was doing, you know, the big guys had done layoffs. They were trying to conserve their cash. Clearly, the, you know, the venture capital market is retrenching, even though there is still money around. I mean, there was a $300 million round at the end of the show, right, for a dispatch, and there was $90 million for, for, for Maven during the show. But so there were some big rounds, but nothing like what we saw, you know, 18 months ago. So I guess my, my question is, do we, I don't think we end up with a dot-com bust where there's like nobody there next year. Um, and the health folks are, you know, they're, they're going full steam ahead. They're going to Europe. They're doing, you know, they're, 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 they're doing the thing with Vive, with, uh, with Chime, you know, they they seem to think that this is, a, this is going to be a big business going forward. Um, I guess the, the, the real, the real question is, you know, does the, does the quote unquote digital health industry manage to, to, to stay together and to keep, you know, even just at this level where 10,000 people will show up in Vegas at one time? Uh, you know, is, is that going to stay around or are we going to see that dip significantly next year when, because life is going to get tougher? I did meet at least three of my friends who I thought were working for various companies, all of whom have been laid off and looked for jobs. So <laughs> Let me take this back around to something you said earlier, which I also had a conversation on this same topic with um, another journalist, I think. Um, you, you mentioned it's not very themed. Uh, and I very much felt that at health. It was a lot of extremely impressive people talking about a lot of different things. I mean, it's it's a multi-stakeholder show. It, 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 there's a huge benefit to having all these different people from all these different parts of healthcare together and get them to talk about things from their different perspectives. And, the, and, the, and I heard that refrain a lot. You know, we have to collaborate to do this. We've got to, you know, all play on each other's strengths. That's all great. Kumbaya. Um, but I do think, like, that's what makes it hard to to really organize a show this big around themes and still get everyone in. What I think is going to start happening, and has started happening, but I, I don't know if it's going to start happening more, especially as economic forces come into play, is that we start to think of digital health as a, a bunch of discrete but interconnected sub-industries. And we start to see more hyper-focused conferences like uh, like Brendan Spiegel's VR conference, you know, that they really delve into one area where 
all the startups and companies have really specific things in common and there's really specific issues they can get into. Like the digital therapeutics conferences is another one. To me, those almost have, I don't want to say they have more value, but they have a more concrete value proposition for a person who's working in that space and a journalist who's covering that space. And, um, and so that's interesting. I mean, it's, I guess in the end, it'll be just an ecosystem, but there is definitely a limit to how, how much a big conference can do when it comes to really fostering those, those meaningful conversations that really make progress and move forward. I would agree. I would just say one thing, which is that health is, is predicated on, you know, venture capital, startups, and large, predominantly outsiders, but also, you know, uh, insiders who want to become more dominant, i.e. ops and, you know, Elevance, <laughs> Walgreens, you know, CVS, all this, all these folks, right? Um, and so long as they are, it, it's not really, I mean, I know there are people from Mayo, you know, traditional healthcare insiders and Kaiser there, but it's not really the kind of quite a great healthcare insiders conference that HIMSS is, right? Which is predominantly hospitals, the IT folks who service hospitals. In fact, somebody mentioned this morning, Epic didn't even have a booth at, uh, uh, I think, some had a small one. Maybe I certainly saw some Oracle people around. But, you know, the big IT vendors who service the hospitals, where most health IT has gone and where most money is spent in the US, weren't there. And the hospitals aren't really there. They're a bit more there at the Vive Chime Show. But again, that's really Hims's lab. I think Oracle's and, the exception. Know, if that, but if, if that lot stay, if those outside forces stay around, if the investors stay around, if the health plans are continuing to be more aggressive into more, you know, acquiring stuff, becoming, uh, becoming, you know, much more like providers and, and et cetera, that, that we're seeing. I think this stays for a while because, you know, that money, that money tap isn't switching off immediately. And, you know, it'll, uh, so I, I think that it, it'll be an, int- it can be an interesting show. We, we, we will have to see, I don't foresee a collapse in the show or in that, in that segment, that sector. So I hope not, because I still need a job. <laughs> I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon but people people will tend to sort of doom and gloom and pick apart um i hope not i and really do enjoy this show and i got a little sentimental on twitter but it's it is really nice to just get together with all the people who have been really sweating it out to build this industry over the last 10 15 years and um and i I do think there's a lot of value there so uh, it was it was nice to see you, Matt. As as always, we I think we only spoke briefly here. We got to spend a little more time together in Milan. Absolutely. But I hope you, uh, yeah, I hope you got something out of the show other than a back injury, and I hope you feel better soon. <laughs> well, unfortunately, right now it's the thing I'm I'm thinking the most of. I did I did have a I did have one of those fun meetings. One one of the the meetings I had was when I was lying on my back was with Heather Fernandez from Solve Health, and when they came out, I said I said something very rude on Twitter, something like you know. The, the Google already does this. This company is going to go nowhere, and uh, she's now done really well. And uh, I got to have an entire, you know, I was totally wrong meeting with her for, for thirty minutes. And it was, it was. She was very charming about it, but you could tell that she was going, "Ha, I got whatever you bozo," which was, uh, which was great. So I, um, you know, it's it's good that you can you can you have that. It's also fun to say that people like you and me who prognosticate try and make comments about the system. This is the occupational hazard of being a person with takes, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> all right thanks matt always a pleasure uh and hey, i appreciate you jumping in on this tonight i hope you feel better soon thanks so much jenna great chatting with you 
That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening. Thank you.